Hello, welcome to From the Tips. This is the Charles Schwab Challenge Edition. Uh, I am John Hasselbauer, golf writer for thelines.com. Um, we have a lot to cover this week. There was uh, obviously big PGA Championship week last week. Plenty of storylines I want to get through, initial reactions, takeaways, final thoughts. Um, that is obviously the flavor of the month. This week, the second major of the year is over. Um, and we are turning the page to the Charles Schwab Challenge, which is not easy to say. Um, and and I have everything we need to know in my articles, uh, my preview article, the, the odds page, and my model that we'll get through in this video as well. Before we get any further, make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Um, check out my links to my work in the description. Comment, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Check out the Discord uh, where you can get all my bets in real time. But let's get started on PGA Championship week. Um, obviously, we got, we have to we have to give the majors their due. It's not we're not turning the page just yet um, because there's only four majors and they are so significant, especially this year with the uh, with the climate of golf right now. So, uh, Brooks Kepka, obviously a winner in a pretty dominant fashion, um, kind of put to rest the concerns of being able to close on Sunday. I do think that was a legitimate, um, a, a growing concern for Brooks uh, after what he did at the Masters, after losing to Phil. Uh, the way that he even closed out his win at Bethpage Black was a little dicey um, with, with such a massive cushion over Dustin Johnson. I was actually there that year, saw the, saw the crowds turn on him. That was odd. <laughs> Everybody was loving Brooks. Uh, in the morning at Beth Page Black when he was up like six and just wanted to see a dominant win. Then all of a sudden, um, Dustin Johnson came out of the woodwork. And once it got close, within a couple of strokes, the, the crowd completely turned. I'd never seen anything like that in a golf uh, in a golf event. I'll never forget that. But um, but yeah, he looked shaky there. And even at Harding Park, he had a, a good chance to win. Um, I think in, in hindsight... It's not a bad thing ever in golf to put yourself in position and lose too many times. Uh, you develop scar tissue. You learn from it. Um, Brooks, I think, coyly and not explicitly um, learned about pace of play and um, determining the pace of play, walking a little bit slower so that he wouldn't have to wait on the tee box the next hole forcing Hovland to kind of play to his speed by walking slower, throwing him off that way. Those sort of gamesmanship things that you can expect from a player who has been there so many times. Um, for me, I didn't bet Brooks Kepka. Uh, I think I fell into a trap of, I knew there were like forties and fifties several months ago um, when he, when his uh, health was in question. And I think as soon as he won that live Orlando event, those uh, Brooks in majors prices came all the way back and put him at 20 to one. Um, if he was 30 to one, I would have bet it. No doubt about it. He was my one and done pick. I wrote a little bit about him last week and just his history in New York, his history on these classical uh, just all around tests. We've seen so many times from Brooks Kepka, um, just how he's able to attack a course like that, how it's suited to him how Oak Hill was going to favor those who had major success. He's a guy I played a lot in DFS. I played him in one and done. I didn't love the 20 to one odds, to be honest, in hindsight. Yeah, he probably was more likely to win his third PGA championship than somebody like Patrick Cantlay was to win his first major ever. 
Um, so maybe I'm kicking myself a little bit for making that decision, uh, knowing that it was such a good course fit, knowing that the injury history is behind Brooks um, and he's been playing so well over the last month. Now it's too late. I can't bet him at, um, at LACC either because he's going to be probably, I don't know, 14 to one. I haven't looked at odds. Uh, you can look at odds uh, on, on the, the lines odds page. Um, that is always up. So you can check that out. Um, and see what, where he's at. Maybe I will toggle that in this video. But um, yeah, what, what else can you say? Brooks is back. Um, so I, I I do want to talk to. I don't really want to talk too much about Michael Block. That was that was a good fairy tale story. Um, but I don't really have any analysis for it. He's in the field this week. I think he could make a cut at Colonial. Um, I don't think he's going to contend. I don't think he's going to finish top fifteen again. I think there's a reason that he's not a full-time PGA tour member. Um, and I think it's a little laughable that his odds are shorter than full-time PGA tour members like a Kevin Kisner who's won here. Um, and his price is way too high on DraftKings this week. I, nobody, please nobody play him at 6,900. There are so many better options. Um, but kudos to him. What an awesome story. This is what we love about the game of golf, the underdog story, seeing the relatable club pro, you know, we've all been to courses and we, we know our club pro, we know they're great. They give us lessons. We we lean on them for advice. Um, and to see them go toe to toe with like a Roy McElroy to beat John Rahm heads up um, in a major, it's it's remarkable. It's an awesome story. Um, I, have, I have no further analysis than that on, on Michael Block. Good for him. Um, so yeah, storylines coming out of Live. Uh, storylines coming out of PJ Championship are uh, squarely on Live now. Um, there's a lot of like victory lapping on Twitter from the live like fanboy accounts. Um, my two cents on uh, what this does for live now that they have a major champion in the current season on the roster. Um, I don't think it dramatically changes uh, the, the general golf fans interest in live. I think it definitely heightens the interest in majors even more knowing that there's so much more quality uh, players who are playing beyond just the PGA Tour and the majors are the only, you know, four weeks of the year that we're going to get to see them uh, compete against each other. I think it's unfortunate that the state of golf has gotten to that point. And this week was a really good reminder of how great things used to be before Live, where uh, any given week we could see Brooks and DJ and Bryson tee it up. Um and, you know, just play against the best players that, that we now know on the PGA Tour as well. Um, that's not a live problem. That is a Jay Monahan um, decision. And I think it's a necessary one. I think uh, what Jay Monahan needed to do when the threat of live became a thing was protect the integrity of the game. And what that means is preventing every top player from simply going to the tour that will play play that will pay them the best. Um, that is something that has ruined other sports leagues. Um, boxing comes to mind definitely first and foremost. Think of uh, Canelo Alvarez, for example, the number one player in his sport. Uh, he chased a paycheck from DAZN to you know, exclusively fight on the DAZN uh, network. He left behind like deals with ESPN, kind of just made it more difficult for him to fight against the best boxers in the world. Um, but he became the highest paid uh, 
athlete in the world, I believe, that year with the contract that he signed. He was able to do that um, just because he was chasing the money. Um, it's also happening with, uh, with soccer now, too. You see the Saudi uh, soccer team just brought over Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and it's, it's hard from like an integrity of the sport standpoint because you don't really get to see Cristiano Ronaldo play against the best players in the world. Now he's playing in Saudi Arabia and getting a paycheck and it doesn't mean he's gotten worse, right? It's, it just means we don't get to see him compete with the best of the best every single week anymore. Um, and those are the things that I think have caused resistance to the live tour from just general golf fans is we miss being able to turn on the Charles Schwab challenge and being able to see versus Kafka there and Bryson, who's from Texas. And, and now it's kind of like, we have a, a little bit of a diluted field and it's a great field this week. We have Scotty Scheffler and Spieth and Homa, um, Finau, Sungjae, Morikawa, um, good names. But I think the middle of this board has gotten a little bit more diluted now. Um, and now you're seeing a lot more favorites are winning. There's a little bit less competition from the middle of the board in tournaments like these. And as golf fans, I think we just want to see the best, best of the best play against each other. That's what happened at the PGA Championship last week. That's why it was so exciting. Um, the other thing that is, you know, I think frustrating to see on Twitter as a reaction to, uh, you know, Brooks winning is like a pushback against, uh, you know, a changing of opinion about Liv. I, I, I don't really understand why the Liv fans are upset that, you know, people in the media who were originally so anti-Liv and saying it, it never had a chance are kind of going full circle and now saying, um, you know, Brooks is a great player and we should have seen this coming, blah, blah, blah. Like, we shouldn't want people to be stubborn on their opinion from over a year ago with a league as, as dynamic as live that has made so many changes between then and now um, when people were you know talking down on live on the onset of live, they were doing these stupid draft shows that they weren't really disclosing how they were drafting teams. They were making up stupid team names with stupid logos that looked like, you know, anybody made it in, in Microsoft paint. Um, they were dodging questions about why they were just being like dishonest in interviews about why they joined the league. They were pushing, um, you know, more time with my family, doing what's best for my family, um, and, and, uh, grow the game was the other like buzzword and everybody saw right through it. And because they were being phony in the interviews, I feel like that just ignited this anti live. These guys are full of crap. Uh, movement from the general PGA Tour fans. Um, the other thing, too, is as sports fans, I think we just naturally root against the overpaid athlete. Um, in New York, that's definitely true. Uh, if you look at any team in New York over the last decade, uh, the highest paid player on that team, if they're not doing well, is usually the, the most hated. Uh, A-Rod comes to mind at the end of his career. Everybody in New York hated A-Rod. He was the highest paid player on the team. Uh, there was this expectation that if you're going to be paid the highest, you have to perform the highest. And if you don't live up to that and you're supporting a team, everyone hates you and they turn on you. Um, plenty of Knicks also f uh, fit that uh, fit that description. I think like Eddie Curry was like the highest paid player on the Knicks. Everybody hated him. Um, the Yankees have had like Jacoby Ellsbury 
Um, if you ever see Jacoby Ellsbury in the street in New York, he'll still get booed because he was overpaid. Um, so that decision to overpay the top stars for live to attract them to come over, obviously appealing for the players, not appealing for the fans. I don't want to see, I'm not going out of my way to root for Brooks Kapka who signed a $200 million deal to win another $8 million at stake. The, the stakes don't feel relevant anymore. Um, and by contrast, that's why the stakes of a major are so palpable because the money doesn't matter. You're not even thinking about the money unless you're Michael Block. Um, it's about the legacy. Um, and I think it's great that, uh, that the live players are finding a way to still play in here, uh, in these majors when they are qualified to. Um, so the last thing I think that comes out of a Brooks Kepka win at the PGA championship is an urgency to figure out the world golf rankings. Um, after the first two majors, I think there's no question and there should not have been a question that the players who were good before they went to live have not gotten worse. They are the players who have been contending in majors already uh, over recent years. That's your, your Brooks, your DJ, your Patrick Reed, uh, Bryson, all these guys, Cam Smith, all these guys are still in the mix. They're, they haven't gotten worse. And it makes sense that they haven't gotten worse because they have more time uh, to stay fresh and practice more often, um, not playing as loaded of a schedule. So they haven't gotten worse. If they deserved to be in the majors last year, it doesn't seem like they've dropped off significantly to the point where they don't deserve to be in it now. The challenge is how do you evaluate um, whether like a Peter Uline or a Charles Howell III deserve to be qualifying for a major when they've never been like major quality players before um, and they don't have pre prerequisite um, qualifications into these majors. Uh, aside from like open qualifying. So that's that's something the majors are going to have to figure out. I am still in favor of a like a committee, a selection committee that says, um, you know, we have 10 at-large spots. Um, here's who we have to choose from. We can take the next 10 best official world golf ranking players. But if we do that, we're going to miss out on like Taylor Gooch and and Bryson. Um, looks like they've been in good form on live. So maybe we do add a couple spots for those guys. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's essentially what the PGA championship did. They added Paul Casey, um, they added Webb Simpson. So not just for one tour, they just kind of looked at who was missing, who deserved to be there. And they added special, special invites. I think that's going to be the solution. Um, because it, it doesn't change the fact that live being a three event closed circuit, or a three round closed circuit limited field event. It's just not apples to apples where you can reward any sort of scaled points for playing well in that sort of format um, versus playing well in the PGA tour. So I think we will see the official world golf rankings become a little bit more obsolete. If we continue to go down this path, um, I just don't see a way where they can, you know, one-to-one, -one, um, evaluate between the two tours. They're not apples to apples. There's no clean way to do it. I think, uh, I think the o OWGR can potentially be a way to gain entry via, um, the PGA tour and the DP world tour two majors. Um, and then they're just going to have to figure out a way to have some sort of fluid selection committee. That's just at large, the next best 10 players in the world or 15 players, whatever they want to be. And it can be, you know, hand selecting from all tours, but 
you know, picking the hottest golfers or picking golfers that just belong there um, subjectively. I think it's going to be hard to figure out, but um, I think it's, it's necessary at this point. And, um, you know, Brooks winning doesn't really make me want to watch live at all. I still can't bet it. Uh, the courses don't really interest me. I have no affiliation to the teams. I'm not rooting for overpaid golfers to get paid even more. Um, so I think as far as like a U United States golf fan perspective, live lives TV viewership or streaming viewership is always going to be a fraction of what the PGA tours is. I don't doubt that they can draw a fan attendance. It seems like it is actually like a fun in-person experience. So it's like, it's different than the PGA tour. Um, so I think in-person crowds will not be an issue, but I think they're going to struggle to generate revenue off of just TV viewership in the United States. I think their, uh, you know, business plan long-term over the next year, two years, three years is going to be to develop interest in the global markets that are being underserved by the PGA tour. Ultimately, I see live being this complement to the PGA tour where they're just serving audiences that the, that the tour is not. Um, I don't know if they'll come to terms together <laughs> ever. Um, I think the PGA Tour still needs to protect the integrity of the sport and prevent the best players from chasing whoever will pay them the most um, because then you get you know, a diluted product for all the fans um, and legacy starts to not mean what it used to. So that's, my, that, that's all of my thoughts on the PGA Championship. It's a big, big week of golf. Um, I didn't have a great outright sweat with you know, really being between Hovland, Scheffler, and, and Brooks by the end of it. Um, did get Chris Kirk on the top 30, so we didn't leave empty handed. You're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U S sports books all in one place. Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. But now it's time to uh, you know turn the page and get to the Charles Schwab challenge. 
Um, so on my screen now, we have my tournament preview. You can find this at thelines.com. Um, we are going to Colonial. We are back to Texas. It's our last week in Texas for the year. We've been here um, already for Valero, Austin Country Club, and um, the Byron Nelson two weeks ago. So this will be the last week we have seen at Colonial. A lot of the local Texans um, have done well being able to navigate the wind, which is always a unique element to Texas golf. Last year, this course was completely baked out, super dry, didn't get any rain leading up into the tournament. And by the end, the the color of the greens was like changing colors. It was like browning. Um you could not stop the ball. You couldn't hold these firm and fast greens. They were borderline losing the course, to be honest. Uh, and Scotty Scheffler had a big lead, and, and he was slowly losing it because he just couldn't get a, like an eight foot putt to stop close to the hole. It was, it was, it was a wild ride. And Sam Burns benefited from posting a number in uh, softer conditions in the morning. He ended up going to playoff. This is the tournament where Scotty Scheffler had a wedding that he had to get to. Um, and the worst case scenario for him was to go stay in a, in a playoff, but mercifully, uh, Sam Burns put an end to it, I believe in the first round. Um, and Sam Burns picked up yet another win in his early career. So let's see, what could we, what could we say about Charles Schwab challenge at colonial, uh, country club beyond what's, um, you know, included in my article, I would say, um, the cliff notes here, it's 7,200 yards at a par 70. It does play short. Um, I believe it's seven or eight of the par fours fall between 350 and 450 yards. So that is a key area of focus. It is bent grass greens that are firm and fast. Um, Jordan Spieth has had more success here than any other player in tournament history by a long shot. Uh, he's gained twice as many strokes uh, total at this course than anybody else in this field. Tony Fino is second. Um, with like exactly half as many strokes gained over uh, the last like 10 appearances at this tournament. Speed is always in contention. He comes into this week with uh, some sort of lingering wrist issue that forced him to withdraw from the Byron Nelson that he would not have done if it wasn't a serious injury. Um, but he looked pretty solid at the, um, at the PGA Championship. He drove the ball well, finished, I want to say, in the top 30. Um, so maybe that wrist injury is behind him. It did seem like he was kind of laboring a little bit. Um, Spieth would always be an auto play for me at, the, at colonial. Um, I think he'll still be popular. So definitely something to monitor with his health. If it is anything worse. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to withdraw, but he might be a little bit limited feeling obligated to play in front of his home, uh, Dallas, uh, crowd. Um, as far as comp courses is really, really interesting with, with colonial, because it is a course. If you look at the list of winners, you're going to get your Kevin Kisner's, uh, Chris Kirk, um, Justin Rose, Kevin Na. These are all like spike irons, spike putting players who, if you can, you know, make it a second shot course, take distance out of the equation and just hit fairways and regulation, hit greens and regulation, make putts. Um, you can have plenty of success here. Um, but over the last two years, it's kind of transformed from this plotter's positional course to a course where long, aggressive total drivers can really capitalize. Um, Jason Kokrak won in 2021, leading the field in driving distance. And last year, uh, 
the playoff between Scheffler and Burns, Scheffler was number one in driving distance and Burns was number three in driving distance in that tournament. So at a certain point, uh, Colonial, whether it's just people's approach to Colonial, maybe people pick some things up when they came here um, in the COVID like first event of the year that got such a loaded field that they never seen before. And people who may have typically skipped this event probably put two and two together that, wait a second, I can clear these trees. I'm not going to hit this fairway if I lay up anyway because the, the fairways are pinched uh, and the rough is brutal. So why don't I just hit a big uh, drive, try to advance it as close to the green as possible um, and just not lay up here. So I think that's an element that's not going to be included uh, in a strategy at like a Mayakoba or a Harbor town where like, if you hit driver, you will be in the trees and you literally cannot uh, take that route. Um, this is a place where good total drivers who don't spray the ball, who hit it far and are in control can really get a leg up on, on the rest of the field. That's what Sam Burns did. That's what Scotty Scheffler has been doing here. That's what Jason Kokrak did in his last two years he played here. Um, so there's sort of two different dynamics that you can use to attack this course. And it's also worth noting that after the end of this tournament, Gil Hans is going to get started on a uh, renovation project, which presumably is to address um, that the, the style in which this tournament has been played more recently, get it back to its original intent of being a positional course um, that can't be overpowered. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the redesign looks like. Um, Ryan Palmer has been involved in the, uh, renovation project as is his caddy randomly. Um, they wanted like an amateur's perspective in respect to the membership. Um, so de definitely interested to see what this looks like in 2024. This will be the last year that we see colonial country club look the way that it, uh, that we're used to seeing it. Um, lastly, I'm just going to go through. Actually, I'm not going to go through key stats. We'll, we'll go through that in the model. The last thing I want to do before we get into the model is just kind of get a look at the state of the odds board. So I'm going to go to the Charles Schwab uh, odds page. Looking at the field this week, it is Scotty Scheffler as the prohibitive favorite, 4-1. to one. He is poised to really attack this course. With Scheffler, it always comes down to the putting because there's just no reason to believe he's not going to be leading this field or close to it from T to green. Um, can't bet him at four to one. I just can't do it. If he was eight to one, I probably would single bullet Scheffler, but I didn't expect him to be that long. Um, Jordan Spieth is your second favorite. That makes sense to me with his course history. He actually has been the odds on favorite here pretty much every year for the last five years. I bet him as a single bullet um, when he went up against Kokrak. I can't remember if I bet him last year. I don't think I did, but um Always in play, assuming he's healthy. Um, you know, he'll be tough to beat this week as well. And then the next tier includes Finau, Hovland, Morikawa, Sung Jay, and Homa in their own sort of class in that like 20 to 1 range, essentially. I think it's interesting that Finau is getting more respect than Hovland. Um, both players are poised to do, you know, what I mentioned earlier of just overpowering this course with elite total driving and distance, taking on aggressive lines. Hovland will definitely do that. I, I loved Hovland on this course last year. Um, I think he had a pretty decent result. He wasn't in, in the mix, but uh, hung around well, looked fantastic at the PGA Championship. Short game is not a concern. Um, at least, you know, it's not a glaring concern anymore, and we'll see how consistent he can be 
with the short game, but it, it really did pass the eye test at the PGA championship, um, last week. Um, I personally just like Tony Finau and his course history here and his, his success that he's had in, uh, Texas, having won the uh, Houston open earlier this season. Um, and then going further down the board, this sort of middle, middle range, you have Rose, you have defending champion, Sam Burns, Tommy Fleetwood, someone who models out well this week, uh, Ricky Fowler coming off a disappointing showing at, um, at, at the PGA championship last week. So that is the state of the field. And now I will flip it into my model, which I have pulled up right here. Um, and we'll just start by going through how I input the model. Um, so starting with approach, if you look down the list of who's won here over the last decade and how they've done it, it's spike putting and it's spike approaching. So, um, you have to be somebody who's capable of gaining five strokes on approach, um, in a, in a course that funnels it to hundred to 200 yards. So that's crucial this week. Approach is always important, but I think a little bit more important this week than most, um, comp course history. I always have high up here. I did include mostly positional courses. Um, I do think Valspar, um, at Innisbrook is, is definitely one to look out for because that obviously Sam Burns has been very good there too. It's a course that should be positional, but can be kind of overpowered with driver. If you want to go that route and definitely rewards, um, you know, aggressive, um, total driving in general, that is Bermuda. So a little bit different there, but, um, I do think given the Sam Burns, um, element, that's, that's an interesting comp course to look into. Um, I like to look at T to green over the last 12 rounds just to get an immediate form, um, pick up on anybody who, um, you know, is in good form right now that may not be captured in the last 36, um, course history, super important here. Very repeatable. Uh, I believe it's five of the last eight winners, um, have posted a top 10 within the last three years. So, um, if you've had success and you know how to navigate this course, you can do it again. It's a very repeatable formula. Um, be accurate off the tee or be a bomber off the tee, but pick one, um, be able to hit consistent approach shots from between 100 to 200 yards. Anytime we're at a course of funnels, um, approaches into a very specific range. Those tend to be the most repeatable course history venues. Um, and that's what colonial is. So I, I think if you've had success here before, you can definitely repeat it. If you're a debutante, your ceiling may be a little bit limited here. Um, just there hasn't been much track record of people contending in their first year at this course. Um, but it is the type of course that you could pick up fairly quickly. Um, just hit fairways and hit greens. Um, off the tee, very low, low weighting. Um, I, I've included for putting both last uh, 36. And I have uh, bent putting in here somewhere. I can't find it, um, but it's in there somewhere. And then proximity 100 to 200. I also broke out the individual 25 yard ranges from 100 to 200 just to see if anybody has any glaring um, areas that stand out. Double bogey avoidance is something where if, if you know, this is not an easy course. The, the winning score has pushed beyond, uh, has stayed below 15 under par. I want to say each of the last eight years or like once in the last 10 years, something like that. Um, so you got to avoid the blowups here. If you hit it wayward into trees, you're going to have to punch out. That's a thing. Um, and, and you know, the greens are kind of tricky. It's important to be a good putter here. So could be a lot of three putts this week could be some OB. 
Um, so people in control of their game who can avoid a big number um, can go pretty far this week. Good drives gained, kind of a catch-all driving stat, but important here. Uh, par 4, 350 to 400 is where a majority of the holes are going to funnel to. Uh, and there's strokes game putting on bent. So that is everything I put into the model. If we sort this in order, um, you can see my model's top 10 is starting by Tony Finau. Um, I think that is to do a lot with the course history weighting that I put a lot higher this week than most. Um, but he's also number one in strokes gained approach leading into this week, which is really encouraging for somebody like Tony Finau, who uh, just continues to improve in that area. And this is a week where you need to spike with your iron. So we know Tony can do that. Um, Scheffler's number two, no surprise, Max Homa. Uh, not somebody that I would immediately think of at Colonial, but um, his numbers are still good in the model. I bet him last week. He was pretty lackluster. I will not be on him this week, but I am going to be back on at the U.S. Open. Victor Alva, number four, makes sense. Gone. Morikawa, number five. Speed number six. Sung Jae, number seven. Fleetwood, eight. Fowler, nine. And Justin Rose, ten. Really not many surprises here to me that kind of validates that we're putting the right stuff in this model. Um, if there are surprises, it would, it would come in probably the 10 to 20 range where you're going to see players like Eric Cole jump up and he's a 101 golfer. Uh, Grio, Bazudenhut, um, Ben Martin. These are all guys who you can get at you know much longer prices, um, but are rating out very well in the model, in a model that's kind of justifying who, who's at the top of the board. So those are some of the like diamond in the rough guys that I like this week. Um, and then lastly, we will just go into who I'm betting. Um, so I'll filter this. It's going to be a, a fairly short card for me. Um, but I am going to start it with Tony Finau. I got a 17 to one on Finau. Um, just in really good form right now. Um, number one in the model, number one in approach, number two in course history behind Jordan Spieth. Um, putts pretty well on bent grass. Where's uh, that? I'm having so much trouble finding finding bent on this uh, model here this week. But he's number he's top ten in bent grass putting. He's always putted well at Augusta. Uh, Jordan Spieth, when asked about why he's had so much success at Colonial, has credited and he has said like he can't really explain why this is, but the types of putts that he hits here remind him of Augusta, not to do with any undulation or anything, but just the way that the greens react. Um, they are both firm and fast um, bent grass greens. So there's some merit to that. And uh, Finau is somebody who has always putted well at Augusta. Always played well at Augusta in general, but the only Augusta comp for Colonial really is just the greens themselves. And even that is, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a stretch with the undulations, but something something to note. Um, and then next on JM, he was 24 to 1. I just think that was a value bet for me. There's a lot of ways you can go at the top of the board between Sungjae and Homa and Morikawa. Um, all guys in that like 20 to 22 to yeah, 20 to 22 range. None of them touch 24. Um, and I basically said, you know, if any of them do, that's who I'll jump on. Um, Sungjae, I think we can actually go to his player page. He, and it's not going to show it um, on this page, but um, he won a Korean tour event in between this Wells Fargo and PGA Championship start. So 
he's been traveling all over the place. He's played three straight weeks from Charlotte to Korea, back to Rochester. Kind of crazy, but I guess it was an important tournament to him. Um, and he won it, so that's worth something. We, the only knock on Sung Jae is that he's kind of knocked on the door but hasn't been able to close it. Um, but you look at what he's done this season, you know, top 10s at the Farmers, the Waste Management, the Players, the Heritage, uh, and Wells Fargo. So he's been in the mix. He hasn't been able to quite close it. Um, but I want to say he's had some pretty good results here as well. A couple of, uh, you know, 15th and 10th over the last three years. So um, somebody who, again... Pretty good total driver of the ball. Not the longest player in the world, but he can take some aggressive lines. Um, go driver heavy this week. I mean, look what he did to to green. Um, ninth last year and an uncharacteristically poor putting display. So we know we know Sung Jae can spike again, you know, five over five strokes at the Wells Fargo um, two starts ago. So not too concerned about this result of the PGA Championship. Very different test in store this week. Um and, you know, he gets two extra days to recover from all the jet lag coming back from Korea. So I like Sung Jae. Eventually he's going to, he's due for a win. So why not this week? Uh, Chris Kirk was my spotlight player feature. So you can check out more insight on him um, on my tournament preview article. But you can see he's 15th in course history. Uh, something that's interesting for Kirk. Um, he's second in the field in uh, par four scoring from 350 to 450. Uh, kind of just has that consistent game where he's going to take an easy swing off the tee, find the fairways. You know, he's a reliable approach player and has a great short game. Um, and a winner of this event in 2015 um, before his win at the Honda. That was actually his most recent win, if you can believe it. So um, some pretty good vibes for Kirk this week. Um, looked pretty solid, all things considered. Um, at the PGA Championship, has finished top 30 in both of the majors this year so far, kind of under the radar, uh, but fairly difficult scoring conditions in store this week. So um, pretty encouraging for Kirk um, coming in better form than, than most years. Uh, and then Andrew Putnam, I got him at 140 to one. Um, somebody who, if we really just simplify what you need to do here between strokes gain approach, um, putting and, and um course history um those are those are the three things that he has on his side and something i want to do more a better job of in these videos is the filtering that i do um when i when i do my my player uh write-ups in, in the tournament preview so what i what i will usually do is take all of this data filter it and if i want to see how many people in this field are top 30 in strokes gain approach Course history and strokes game putting on bent grass. It's Tony Finau, Victor Hovland, and Andrew Putnam. So Finau and Hovland, if if though, and I really do think that's what this course comes down to in the end. It's can you spike with your approach? Can you make a ton of putts on bent grass greens? And have you done it here before? Um, Fino Hovland are both 15 to one players and Andrew Putnam is 150 to one. So if it really is that simple and I'm not really discouraged by this one 16th in strokes gain off the tee, because that's all distance. Um, and in reality, he's, you know, one of the elites in hitting fairways, which is going to help you here 
at a course that doesn't really hurt you to be deficient in distance, obviously. Guys like Finau and Hovland will be able to cut corners and give themselves more looks. Um, but Putnam has had great success at this event. He finished top 15 last year. Um, so the, the lack of driving distance has not held him back. Um, so I like to look at it this way. Um, sometimes when I'm trying to figure out who the best values in the field are um, from that perspective. Um, I also bet Akshay Batia. He's not here, but just kind of on a potential bet. Um, he was at close to 200 to one um, and hitting his irons great right now. So I, I just had to add him to the card. And then Ches Revi, um, we got to pull up Ches Revi's um, numbers too as, as the last thing before we go here. I got him at 450 to one. Um, you can see over the last five starts, sixth and 11th and a couple top 50s, uh, 40th at the PGA Championship. That's that's decent for a 400 to one golfer, but it's it's this right here that like really shocked me. He has gained strokes putting in six consecutive events. He has never done that if you go all the way down his entire 15-year career. He has never gained strokes putting in six consecutive weeks before. Um, the knock on Ches Revi has always been great approach player, very accurate off the tee, but can't hit a putt. Um, he has changed something since the Valspar, it seems. Um, and he looks comfortable on these greens. He continues to gain. He's not just narrowly gaining. He's gained about two strokes plus in five consecutive starts now. So something is working with the putter. He played well in Texas at Valero. He played well at a positional course here, and he stood up to a tough test with a top 40. I would want to say, actually, I want to say you have one of the low rounds of the day. Um, on Sunday, I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get into that. Um, but yeah, he, he looked very good on Sunday. Closed closed the tournament well at the PGA Championship. Um, and if you're telling me Chaz Revi can putt now, and it's uh, a tournament where if you hit fairways and you hit greens, um, where he was actually second in greens regulation last year, and now he's going to make putts, all of a sudden that becomes a pretty viable 401 uh, ticket for somebody who's won at the Travelers, similar um, positional type of venue. So that is going to wrap it up for me. I've been going pretty long on these videos. I want to try to cut those down a little bit, but um, you know, it's the week after a major I had a lot of major thoughts. Uh, and I want to make sure uh, this video is also informative for the week ahead too. So that's everything I have um, for this week. I wish everybody uh, the best of luck with your bets at the Charles Schwab challenge. And thank you again for watching along. 